0: iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store.
1: I am happy to introduce um, uh, uh, somebody I met uh, in London on the set of Harry Potter. And if, uh, if, are there any Harry Potter fans, by the way? Before we get started, <laughs> not a one. Okay, this is going to be more awkward than I thought. Um, David Heyman, let's hear it for David Heyman. <laughs> Join us on stage is uh, the producer of uh, one of the most successful and certainly the most intense um, franchise in the history of film, if you look at how intense the uh, release schedule's been over the last decade. It's been the decade of Hogwarts, and uh, this man is one of the main reasons why. So let's hear it again for David Heyman. Thank you. So uh, this Wednesday, anything going on with you guys, or uh, what do you have going on this week?
0: I don't know, just <laughs> chilling in Los Angeles. No, uh, film comes out midnight. Tuesday. And uh, there we go.
1: And it's the sixth film, as everybody here knows. So uh, Harry Potter and Half-Blood Prince. And it's a very interesting film. I've seen it. It's great. You guys are going to love it. Uh, One of the things that's very interesting is in a lot of ways, I would think that this was one of the more challenging films. Uh, one of the more challenging stories to present, just because of the structure of the story. and, and uh, Can you talk a little bit about that? Do you agree, first of all?
0: Ab- absolutely. I mean, I think, it's, I think it's challenging in various ways. For those of you who have read the books, you'll know that in, in, in many ways, my son makes an entrance. <laughs> 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 Sorry about that. Security. Uh, <laughs> Ah, jet lag. Um, it, it, it really is, in many ways, uh, I think, uh, one of the most difficult, because in large part, the the, the sixth book, in many ways, is a setup up for, for the seventh, and, and, and so too in, in, in the movie. So um, uh, we, we have a lot of information that we need to get across for the seventh. Al- al- also, um, we're dealing with a film... Uh, in which the chief nemesis of the series, Voldemort, doesn't really play, he's not really actively in the present story. He's in the, the film because of the memories, in the book because of the memories, but he's not an active nemesis. We don't actually see him throughout the story, as I say, except in the memories, and that's challenging. Um... In the film, we've chosen to follow a multitude of stories. We follow Malfoy, who is, in, just like Harry, the chosen one. And we follow Harry's suspicion of, of Malfoy. We spend time with uh, Dumbledore sort of, uh, help, you know, sort of training Harry and teaching Harry and in a way preparing him to take over the mantle. Uh, of protector, I suppose, of, of, of the wizard world in some ways, um, and we spend quite a bit of time with teen romance and the various uh, awkwardness of of, of um, Harry liking of, of Harry and oh, sorry of Ron and Hermione's relationship and their sort of struggle to, to, to admit to each other that they like one another, and um, Harry and Ginny begin to, to to like each other, and that's much. To much to Ron's dismay. So uh, there's a lot of that too. So there's a lot going on, but it's not like there's a very clean, a clear sort of narrative drive and there's not like there's a very clear you know, sort of nemesis in it, which is not, not the way it's been within, within the movies to date. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was going to say also,
1: by the way, we're going to take uh, questions at the end of this. Uh, So if anybody has any questions that they'd like to ask you, we'll get a chance. And we're going to bring people over here a little later and do that. Um, You know, uh, one of the things that uh, uh, it seems to me, if you look back over the last decade in show business, I think you could argue that the single greatest decision made because of the risk involved uh, could have gone any way and, and the great success that followed was the casting of your three stars. Uh, I mean, uh, what do you guys think? Have they done a pretty good job, the, the three stars of the franchise? Yes. And if you think back, uh, for us just as on outside observers, what it was, must have been like to pick three little kids and try to extrapolate what they would be like over the next decade, how they would be able to handle the fame, how they would be able to handle the roles, how they would grow up. It's 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 fascinating that you did so well. So congratulations, yeah, first of all, and then uh, tell us a little bit about it.
0: Well, you don't really cast for seven films. Uh, uh, I I don't think I had. A, I mean, I I can tell you, I didn't have a clue that I'd be making seven films that I'd be in two thousand that I'd be sitting here talking to you about the sixth film. So what you're trying to do at the, uh, when you when you begin the process is cast the person to the, the, to play Harry, the people to play Harry, Ron and Hermione in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, as we call it in England, and also Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. But beyond that, I had no idea. So when um, finding Ron and Hermione was a lot easier than finding Harry, funnily enough, um, though we held off making a decision on Ron and Hermione until we'd cast our Harry, because they really have to work together as a threesome. Um, uh, finding Harry was a real real challenge. I began that process before we had a director in October or November of 1999. And come July, we still hadn't found our Harry, which was a pretty scary thing, given that the films were called Harry Potter and The. <laughs> and the. Um, so I was a bit concerned about that. And uh, what happened was I went to the theatre... And I was sitting in the audience with Steve Clovis, who's written five of the six films and who will have written seven of the eight by the time we're done. And um, we we were sitting in the theater and sitting behind us was this boy with these big blue, I'm afraid not green, but big blue eyes. And um, it was Dan Radcliffe. And, you know, it was really just by chance. That's pretty extraordinary.
1: And the lightning tattoo. I can't believe that the kid (laughs) sitting there... He
0: came with that little, you know...
1: It's unbelievable. It really is unbelievable, isn't it? Uh, you know, the cast of, of people that have come through, the uh, the fantastic actors, it's a, it's, a, it's a who's who, the elite of British and Irish acting. Uh, it's
0: been amazing, yeah. actually, yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh, – a lot of it – obviously, Joe has written these fantastic characters. And I think for a lot of these actors, people like Gary Oldman and um, – you know, several others. It's an opportunity to be in a film that their kids or grandchildren or nieces or nephews might actually go and see, because a lot of them, certainly someone like a Gary Oldman, had never, to this point, been in anything that 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 um, that anybody under the age of around 20 could watch. Absolutely. Tell
1: us a funny story. You were telling me a little bit about Michael Gambon before we came up. Uh, uh, give the folks an idea
0: that I mean, he's not uh, not a, a sort of a professional clinical approach to acting. No, Michael Gambon is. Dan, Dan Radcliffe referred to Michael Gambon. He was sitting next to him in a press conference on last week, and he said, "Michael Gambon is the most unprofessional actor he's ever worked with, <laughs> and also the most most respected." And uh, Michael turned to him and said, I take that as a compliment. (laughs) It's interesting, too, to see the difference between
1: the two Dumbledores.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's... uh, You know, I think that, that, that Michael has made the part very much his own. Richard Harris played the first, played Dumbledore in the first two films and really had, the, both of them have a real twinkle in, in their eye. Michael paid homage to, to Richard by, 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 uh, imbu- by giving his character an Irish lilt, you know, sort of a little Irish twang. But other than that, I think he's very much made the part his own and um, I think he's fantastic. Yeah, he seems to be made of sterner stuff. I think. Well, Richard, I think if he was playing in this part, would have, is made of trust me. He's made of stern stuff, um, uh, or was made of stern stuff. Um, but no, I think that's right. I think Michael, as as m- m- as the most certainly in the sixth film. Which requires, as you know, you and I were talking before, that that Dumbledore really has to t- has taken the weight of the the wizard world on his shoulders and has taken an awful lot of responsibility. He's always done so, but it's much more apparent in this film um, that you're aware that 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 he is a very strong person, and 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 yes, he has whimsy. Yes, he says some very funny and. It's funny lines, but he's a really strong wizard, and you wouldn't want to mess with him in any
1: way at all. Yeah, there's something flinty there for sure. What about uh, the the latest edition, uh, Bill Nye? Tell us a little bit about uh, how he came into it, and and he must have been somebody you had your eye on for a while.
0: Yeah, Bill Nye. he's going to play scrimmager. Um, Bill is someone who, you know, we've had opportunities to bring various actors in, and we've all been fortunate enough to get our first choice uh, almost all the time. And uh, um, so there hasn't been room for Bill yet. But David Yates has worked with Bill a few times. And, um, you know, he he was in uh, State of Play, which was the TV series that that turned into a film uh, quite recently. And um, he was fantastic in that. And He's just one of the great British actors. And he felt perfect for for Scrimmager.
1: You know, one of the things that uh, accompanies this film as it arrives at theaters, is uh, a very long history, longer than anticipated. Uh, obviously, Warner Brothers made a decision last year, and, and I remember when I came to see you in London, you guys were just wrestling with that decision about delaying the release of this film from last year to this year. Uh, it left a lot of sour feelings for a while, and, and I'm wondering now, are you still feeling that from the fans, or, or do you feel
0: like all's forgiven, or...? I hope it's forgiven. (laughs) Um, You know, I won't kid you. It was a bit of a you know when 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 Alan. Horn and Jeff Robinoff came to me and said we would like to postpone the release Um, there was part of me part of my heart, my heart sank because when you finish a film you want to get it out there and it's um, most certainly strange to have it hanging over your shoulder I mean we're 90, as I'm talking to you now we're on day 91 of 250 of uh, um, of part 7 so we're well into it and to have six hanging over is a strange thing but um, they've been the best partners you could possibly have I mean, they've given us such independence and such support, and it was something that they wanted, and it felt like the right thing to do. I mean, there was always going to be a two-year gap, either between five and six, or between six and the first part of seven. So, um, as opposed to being between um, six and the first part of seven, it's between five and six. So, yeah, no, I mean, I hope the fans are okay with it. Is everybody okay with it? Okay, no.
1: they, they don't look, well no, they do look a little angry actually they, Let's just move on uh, So uh, Deathly Hallows, of course, uh, is going to be split into two films um, I did a story on David Yates where he talked a little bit about my, where he might split it And I asked you before we came up here
0: to talk about that Yeah, he revealed too much um, Sorry w- <coughs> You have this way um, No, he, you know, we've made a decision where to split it um, It's a bit of a cliffhanger but more than that, I don't want to say it because I think it will spoil it. But I think it's—I think you know, actually, that's where we've made the decision to break it right now. That's the decision. Sorry, that's the decision in the script. Um, when it you know we're shooting the entire film before we're editing part one. Um, so as the process evolves, you know that 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 divide point may shift. But uh, at the moment, we've got it in our mind. Fair enough. And then, um, you know, David Yates uh, he,
1: uh, is such a delightful man uh, and, and seems uh, to carry himself uh, so well through the world. He seems to wear it very well. Unbelievable. What's he meant to you uh, as, as a colleague and a, a compatriot on this journey?
0: Yeah. You know, David has this veneer, this sort of this veneer of being the softest, sweetest, you know, uh, bouncy. Um, guy, but actually he's made of steel. Um, he's the greatest collaborator you could ever ask for. You know, he, he really does encourage discussion and debate about everything. But, but, um, and he is willing to listen to, to, to anybody, even me. But ultimately, he, um, at the end of it, he has a pretty clear idea of what it is he wants to do. And when he makes a decision, he goes for it. And he's you know, pretty much always right. Um, he's a, he's an absolute joy to work with. I think he, he he really has gotten the best out of the kids. I think you'll see in six um, that they've really taken a big leap forward as actors. I think they've done that each step of the way, but I think this one's you know even more marked. And um, you know he's he's an absolute pleasure, and I'm great. I'm really happy that he's seeing it through. That's great. Now, uh, for those of you that don't know, David,
1: you were born in London, is that correct? I was, I was and then you London. studied at Harvard. I did in
0: arts. In history of art history and of art. having a good time.
1: Right. And you considered being
0: an art dealer at one time? or um, I contemplated it, um, but um, I think I made the right decision. Better at buying than selling? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, there's a lot of selling involved, let me tell you. With being a producer, a lot that's of true. selling. That's very true. But I meant with the art. You oh, would like to art, hang yeah, it on the wall. That's true.
1: And then, uh, you know, there's many pursuits that you have beyond Potter. Let's touch on a couple of those really yeah. quick. Uh, you mentioned a few before we stepped. Yeah, up. Yeah,
0: I'm, ins- I'm working on a few other things. I've optioned the rights to a book called The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, which is a fantastic book by this man called Mark Haddon. And it's about um, an autistic boy or a boy with Asperger's syndrome. And it's a fantastic book. Um, award-winning British novel that Steve Clovis, who's adapted the Potter books, is going to um, write and direct. He directed a film called The Fabulous Baker Boys and and, um, I think it's fantastic and I think it's going to be a great film. I'm also doing a a wide range of things, but um, I'm developing Paddington Bear, I don't know if any of you know that. Yes. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> oh, good. Will you let Warner Brothers know that you feel that way? Um, and, you know, a variety of, of projects from, from, you know, mature dramas to, to, to family fair and just trying to find things that I love because ultimately that's all that, that's the only way you can, can take on um, the only way you can work in this business because it's pretty brutal unless you get lucky like me. And then, uh, you know, I
1: wanted to mention uh, on uh, Half-Blood Prince as well, Jim Broadbent, what a fantastic addition uh, to the cast, and he's, he's not um, technically what you could expect by reading the, the book. Uh, you, you could
0: have gone in different directions. No, um, you know, the, uh, Slughorn is meant to be a short, round character, and Jim is rather tall and thin, though we put on a bodysuit. Um, to, to make him a little rounder but he's never going to be as round as the slughorn character in the book um, but I think he imbues the spirit of of, of, of of Joe's character and she most certainly I know feels that way um, he is absolutely brilliant and he he plays he, what, what, what I love about him is he play, I think he's very very funny but it's all, and, and this is, I think, a mark of David's direction. You know, sometimes it's quite heightened, but it's very truthful. So it never feels like you're playing for a gag. It feels like you, you know, he's someone who is very funny, but also really sad. He's carrying the weight of, of, of something he did many, many years ago uh, uh, within him. And you feel that through the entire, entire film. Uh, he's great. Yeah, no, that's extremely well
1: said. There's a lot of layers to the character, and, and he uh, communicates a lot of it uh, non-verbally.
0: Uh, yeah, and he he does this amazing thing with his eyes because there's certain times where you can see the whites all the way around his eyes, and, and then there are times when they're quite quite beady. Um, no, he's a he's such a multi, you know, such a talented actor who can give you such a range of emotions and feelings, and you know, he's brilliant. Great. Is there uh, anybody
1: with the audience that has a quick question? And I would ask that you don't make proposals, declarations, pitches, threats, or ask for money. Okay. And no scripts. Thank you. Okay. A lot yeah. of hands went down. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you just go. I'll repeat it. Oh, okay. Uh, well, first, I want to say thank you for your amazing work. Love it. Uh, okay,
0: thank see. you. The question is, Is will John Williams come back? And, um, you know, I'm a huge fan of John Williams. He did three of the scores, and um, I think he's amazing. You know, he came up with so many themes that have carried on. Um, we have talked to John Williams, and, and a lot of it will depend on his schedule um, for seven part two. Um, you know, if, if we can make it work, and that's a big if, um, for his schedule and ours, then yes, but I don't know yet. Great question. Thanks. Is there anybody else that has a, qu- a question, the gentleman right there?
1: Yes. As I read uh, Harry Potter, he is an ageless character, a character that doesn't grow up. Now, with the cast uh, growing up every few years, is that putting more pressure on you to speed up production, or are you going to... Adjust the script to
0: uh, account for the age difference. Um, The question was whether the fact that the kids are growing up so quickly is a a problem. I mean, being very reductive. Um, You know, Joe's been very good to us because each book in the series is about a different year in Harry's life. So in the first one, he was 11, and um, in the seventh, he's 17. So Dan Radcliffe is now 20, playing 17, and I think the audience is pretty forgiving of that because I think one of the pleasures has been watching him and all our cast grow up, and if John Travolta can get away with playing a high school teenager in Greece, I think Dan Radcliffe can. Well, there you go. I don't think he
1: got away with it, actually, but that, that's just me. Way back there. hey, How are you doing?
0: Um, the question was uh, did Emma Watts there was talk about Emma Watson uh, leaving the series and did her friendship with Joe have anything to do with her staying um, you know I think of, of the three kids I'd say Emma is the one who struggled most with, 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 with it as it were not really struggled but was the one who each time had to think whether she wanted to continue, but ultimately, I think um, you know it 's a great part, and I think the thought of seeing anybody else take it on um, would, be, would would not have been up, would not have been something she wanted to see and I also think that actually. What, one of the things that's great about the series is that each book is a different year in, 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 in her life and each film offers her different opportunities. And I think one of the things you'll see in Six, for example, is I think, she, you know, she's really funny. Um, as well as, and again, I think you'll see it in the movie, I think she, there's so much more depth to her pain, as it were. You know, that the pain that she feels about Ron and his inability to she think love her or does he love her doesn't he love her and the awkwardness of that and she's amazing in this film to me it's a whole leap forward and I think she's aware of that and I think she she loves it you know Um, but she's also someone who has a life beyond Potter she's a fiercely intelligent young lady Um, you know she got the highest grade in Britain, in her A-level, which is the equivalent of SAT, I suppose, or her achievement. She got the highest grade in the country in English. Um, So she's a fierce mind, and she thought through it um, in every which way. And it wasn't Joe, it wasn't her friendship with Joe, it was Emma making that decision on her own that this is something she actually loved. I think what's funny is I think at the beginning of the series, she was less comfortable with being like Hermione. She was always very smart, but... When you're told when you're young you're really smart, sometimes that's like not cool. Um, but now she realizes actually she's more like Hermione than she'd imagined and that's not such a bad thing at all. And she's embraced it and loves it and I think she's thrilled to be seeing it through to an end. Um, no, you know, the thought of recasting, um, fortunately we never got anywhere near that. And um, you know, as I sit here today, I can tell you that every single cast member is coming back.
1: That's outstanding. You know, real quick, uh, you know, the end of the novels. Obviously, we see these characters yeah. much older, and, and I, I, I don't know if you've decided what you're going to do or
0: we're still figuring out the technology um, or how we're going to go about it. But most certainly, as I sit here today, we are determined uh, to make it work with our ca- with our cast. So you know, I mean, you look at Benjamin Button and what they did, and I'm not saying we're going to use the same same techniques, but um, I th- we're going we are gonna, I'm not sure actually but we are, we are but we um, but we are going to do it with uh, Dan Rupert and Emma. That's great. The Curious
1: Case of Harry Potter. Uh, yes, hey, how are you doing? Uh, first off, David you're amazing. I had uh, um, a quick
0: question. will you tell my wife that? Great right <laughs> well, I'm a huge fan of the adult actors, particularly David Gillis, who plays Lupin, and we're all fans of the trio, but a lot of us are also fans of the adult actors running at the last two films, Um, a lot of the adult actors are going their own paths and Was wondering if they're going to get more screen time as well as the trio, because
1: um, a lot of fantastic British actors, McAllen, Rickman, and Gary Oldman, and everyone that you've mentioned,
0: and we would like to see like lots of screen time for them as well as the trio. You know, it's pretty difficult. Um, to, the question was, are we going to see more time with the with the adult actors uh, in Seven Part One? Not because um, the first part of, of, of Seven is them on the road. You know, they're they're running. Um, so we're going to spend a lot of time with the three of them. Um, In the second part, um, we'll see more of the adult actors, Uh, yes, but really it's the story of the kids, and the adult actors are... Servicing's not right, but, you know, they really are... uh, Their role is in relation to uh, our central characters, so we will see more of them, but not as much as you might like. not at all
1: and, and this was the first
0: uh, six was the first film where
1: Joe was on the set quite a lot right um, or more than n- before n-
0: no not really I mean I think that that um, you know Joe's finished the books so she uh, she visited a couple of times you know she visited us um, on one she visited us I'm not sure if she was there on two but she visited us on three she doesn't you know she comes down once a filmed. she came down I think twice on six um, So, but she's not there regularly she came to the uh, read-through on, on Six, which was great. And I remember sitting next to her and she, she makes notes. We, we always give her a draft of the screenplay and then she discusses it, you know, gives us her notes. Um, but I, I was sitting next to her and she was making notes on the screenplay and that always is a very nerve-wracking moment because you think, oh my goodness, what is she thinking? And um, she made a note next to this one speech of, of Dumbledore's and, and we're walking out and she turned to me and she said, you know Dumbledore's gay? And I had no idea until that moment in time. And it was just one line that Dumbledore was going to say, but never ended up saying. Something and? about... There was, yes, I remember a girl once in Liverpool. That's not in the
1: movie.
0: <laughs> I remember Ringo. That's what it... Was. Hey. Uh, do I have any plans for the Potter universe after the films Um, there's a Potter theme park which opens next year in Orlando there's um, and I've been working on that a little bit um, and the the main ride there is pretty fantastic which is a journey through Hogwarts um, with Harry and it's amazing Uh, there's a Potter museum tour which shows a lot of the props and the costumes um, and I'm sure Warners will find a way to release every single incarnation of the videos. You can pass DVDs you can possibly imagine. There's going to be an Ultimate Collector's Edition, um, and I'm sure it'll be repackaged every which way, <laughs> um, which is great. And you had a, a, a model of that amusement park, um,
1: or yeah. the, of the attraction, I should yeah. say. Yeah, no, I mean, we've been... Very Tell inf- a little bit about it, just in broad strokes.
0: Well, th- there are three rides, and there's also... Um, you know uh, you come in and there 's the Hogwarts Express, and you go through and there 's th- yeah, three different rides and there 's um, a, Hog- a Hogsmead Street where there are shops and 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 restaurants and um, Stuart Craig who 's our production designer, has been really working very closely with them to make sure that it looks as close to um, the film is possible and so in, um, in, the, uh, in the sun of southern Florida it's going to be always snowing and always covered in snow <laughs> um, Which uh, Hogsmeade will always be covered in snow which will be pretty amazing uh, but the main ride which is this journey through Hogwarts where you sit on the chair on an arm going through it is absolutely fantastic, I, mean, I haven't actually sat on the arm but I've seen uh, the film that they're making of it and it's pretty cool
1: You know, I grew up in Florida, and you can just disguise the mosquitoes as owls. It'll be, (laughs) it'll be absolutely fantastic. Hey, oh, you just give me a warning. No, no, no. Go ahead. (laughs) It's the guy that works here. I thought
0: thought you were telling me five minutes. Uh, I saw the play twice. I I saw it opening night in London and opening night in in, in New York. You know, I mean, Dan's a good friend and uh, I think what he's doing is great. Um, I had no concerns at all. And frankly, I think it's really important for him to... To encourage him to do what he wants to do and really you know everybody focuses on ooh, he's naked because that's the story isn't it but really what it is it's a young it's about a young actor a young boy and that's not what the plays about it's not about him being naked it's about a boy who um, who is who's damaged. And, um, you know, I think it's it's been it's been great seeing Dan flex his acting muscles, learn from that experience, return to us a better actor for it. And I think, you know, I think one of our one of my roles, one of our roles as a as producer is to to help him become, you know, to support him in becoming who he is. And that's a fine young actor. Uh, when
1: I saw the Roger Friedman thing saying that the movie was pushed back a year because of the playoffs, I, I was like, "Wow, <laughs> that is just the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard." And I, yeah, I mean, and yeah, yeah. we'll move on. No comment. Hey there, how are you doing? Good. Uh, second one. Uh, in certain movies that are there more minor storylines
0: get shot from the book story. So how does this film follow the book? <clears throat> Uh, I, I believe you were asking, in, in, each of the fi- in each of the films, minor storylines are dropped, and how, does that, how is that done in Six? Well, I think we have fewer of the memories in Six than are in the book, which um, <clears throat> in some ways is, 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 is a drag, because I love those memories. And actually, in each of the films, we, we lose things that I love. For example, spew. Um, is something that I love in the books, but isn't in the film. Um, what we decided to do, and this really began in the third film with Alfonso Cuarón, is try and make the films more cinematic. That to acknowledge the separation between book and film, they're different medium, and need to you can't simply translate a book. You have to adapt it. And Alfonso was very. Um, I mean Chris did it brilliantly but Alfonso really took it and, 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 and the way he did that was by telling the story from Harry's point of view and things that didn't relate to that tend to fall out. In this film that's very much the case um, too. Um, and, you know, the most significant drop, I suppose, is, is, is some of the memories, largely because Voldemort never appears in the film as a nemesis. So you're setting up Seven and you're, you're, you're investigating a character who, as I say, while his shadow is cast over the, over the film, doesn't really appear.
1: You know, it's interesting, and I won't give anything away, but there's a major difference uh, in the
0: climactic scene uh, from the books Major difference I, But uh, I, I don't want to But you know I, I, Without giving it away w- One of the reasons Why we made that decision And this is going to sound you know, Now you're really confused But is That it relied More on character Oh I can see
1: that for sure And we won't say another thing You and I I'll talk some more About that after Because I, I think That's very interesting um, Yes um, Tom Felton You mentioned Tom mentioned His girlfriend Jane Might play Break so up that
0: Or the I have no idea. No, I mean, um, unfortunately, uh, you know, we haven't yet cast that section. So I'm um, Tom. Will be in the in the end, but we haven't. He may want to cast his girlfriend. Um, he does. Okay, good. Well, I'll keep that in mind. Um, thank you. Um, oh, sorry. The question was: Tom Felton has a has a girlfriend called Jade, um, who works in the stunt department, and um, he wants her to play his wife, girlfriend, in the in the in the end, in the end of Harry Potter seven part two which is what we're going to call it great title um harry potter and the deathly Hallows part two um and he, she was asking if if that's going to happen and nobody's been cast yet in that regard
1: we have an interview with him on uh, the hero complex on wednesday we have an interview today um uh, with michael gambon so if you guys could check it out we've had a story every day for a month on our Harry Potter countdown, you can check them all out, interviews with everybody.
0: Don't believe a word that Michael Gambon says.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. Let's take another question. Uh, you had a question right in
0: front. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll come up with all sorts of things. One of the things that I do know will be on the uh, ultimate collector's edition, part one, um, will be the uh, of, of part one of the of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, as it's called here. Um, I think it's on that one. Um, will be the audition tapes for Harry, Ron, and Hermione, which will be pretty cool. I look, I, I looked at that the other day, and it was it was amazing because, uh, and I showed it to Rose, you know, to my wife, and and you know, you barely recognize Dan, Rupert, or Emma. I mean, particularly Dan for me, it was it was, wow, who is this boy? Um, uh, I think I'm not sure that we're doing it in the fifth DVD, but we may have the audition tape audition between. Um, uh, we will have an audition with Luna on one of them. Because Luna was... Uh, Ivana Lynch was... What happened was we went through an intense casting period to find Luna Lovegood. And we had... Um, we, aud- we ended up with two or three people. And we saw them, we felt... You know, they were good, but they'd be acting the part as opposed to being Luna. So we did a casting, um, an open call. And we expected... A thousand people, and I think somewhere between twelve and fifteen thousand people showed up, and you know all sorts of people. Thirty-five-year-old men came to play Luna. I said I was sorry. <laughs> anyway, so um, we have um, Luna's, not the one from that casting, but have her audition tape with Dan. And we have Jessie Cave, who plays um, who's in who's in the new film, and who's uh, Lavender Brown, and she's fantastic. And her 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 audition with Rupert, which was uh, some of which was improvised, and was fantastic.
1: Oh, it's fantastic. And we have some video, I understand, uh, to show you guys. we they're going to set that up. We'll take a couple more questions, but you guys just let me know when that's ready, and we'll do that. Unless you guys don't want to see it. Anybody want to see it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I don't know why I do things like that either. Okay, uh, here. How are you doing? Hi. Um, Rupert said that uh, to get the audition
0: for a role, he sent in a video of him rapping. I was wondering if you ever saw that video. Uh, she's saying that Rupert said that he sent in a, an audition tape of himself um, to get the part of, of Ron. And yes, he, I did. And, you know, he's amazing. Um, Rupert is a true original. I mean, he is he's really unique and eccentric um, and, and he's gone through a really interesting journey because on the first film he was the most talkative um, Dan was quite shy well, when they got the part, there was a, a press conference Dan was almost in, sh- in, in shock looking at all the press, Rupert was talking he was asked how much he got. he's getting paid and this kid who was 10 years old said, I don't know how much I'm getting paid in, in, in muggle money but I, I, I could tell you in nuts and galleons <laughs> And you know that was that was pretty good for a ten-year-old or eleven-year-old. Um, but he's a true eccentric. He he owns um, what's he done with his money? He's um, he, he 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 plays the didgeridoo. He's bought an ice cream truck, and he's bought a hovercraft. Um, and he's really an original. And he is one of the he is completely unchanged. He comes from a large family like the Grints, like sorry like like the Weasleys. And uh, lots of brothers and sisters. And he is completely unchanged and is very funny and really sweet.
1: That's fantastic. Well, I think we're going to step off for a second and watch this video, and then we're going to come back. Terrific. You know, um, uh, one of the other things, you know, again, talking about the kids, it's amazing that uh, I was telling my wife after I visited the set and watching how they carry themselves, the actors that play the three principles and um, and how things could have gone and i I kept saying over and over there wasn 't a Brittany in the bunch uh, <laughs> I mean because're no, really
0: lucky I mean you know I think there are various reasons for that one that we 're lucky in that sense they 've got good parents. <laughs> that's sort of key. Um, Also, a lot of the same people have been working on Potter since the beginning. You know, we've got the same, a lot of the same production design team, same makeup team, special effects, um, some of the assistant directors, myself. And um, it's an environment where you know, we're a bit outside London when we're making the films, and you can't get away with anything. You know, if you if you get if you were to get high on your horse, you'd get knocked down really quick. So everybody's teasing and play, I mean, in the nicest way, playing, joking, and just it's a what's, what I'm most, one of the things I'm most proud of. It's a place of great pride, but no ego. Mm. Outstanding. Well, well
1: said. Okay, we're going to take some more questions. Is there anybody out there that has a question? Young lady with sunglasses.
0: I was involved in that. Um, they most certainly asked me if it was okay. <laughs> um, you know, it was really fun because I think that, 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 you know, it's good to have a sense of humor about one's work and what one's doing. And, and actually what I loved about what Peyton did with that is it's very affectionate. And he loves Potter. And I think that the that scene reflects that. You know, there are Potter fans, obsessives, and uh, and yeah, it's a very affectionate look at, at the work, so I really enjoyed it in the film, and um, yeah, I think Jo would too. I'm not sure she's seen it, but I think she would.
1: It's interesting to see how the, the Potter films have affected Hollywood, and I mean, we see and certainly how it's affected the bookshelf of the world. I mean, there's all these series that slightly resemble or blatantly resemble yeah. what Jay has done. Um, uh, tell me a little bit, Percy Jackson. That's kind of interesting, and, and Chris Columbus is going to be directing that. Uh, do you do you have a sense of, of that from a distance? What uh, anything about it at all?
0: No. Yeah, <laughs> have
1: you, it's just interesting to see how uh, all the, uh, the the sort no, of I mean, river. That's what I think flows. is, fan-
0: I mean, listen. One of the things that Joe did that is fantastic is, is I think she gave, uh, you know, it, it's, she's. Made children 's fiction or family fiction um, she 's broadened its scope or made it seem like a viable business opportunity, which means it gets more shelf space um, you know and, and, and I think that's that 's fantastic um, you know she 's encouraged readership. Um, I mean, you know, I know when I was growing up, there weren't too many kids reading 700 page tombs. Um It's, it's brilliant. And, 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 and I think, you know, the, the New York Times now has a children's list, um, which is great. And I think, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, Her legacy goes beyond the books.
1: Yeah, outstanding. Okay, we'll take some more questions.
0: Uh, gentleman right there, how you doing? Hi, uh, could you talk about um, how you discovered the Harry Potter series and what it was like obtaining film rights? Sure. I was very lucky. I was in the right place at the right time. I lived in L.A., then moved to New York, and then moved back to London. When I moved back, um, I decided to uh, make books uh, a, f- a foundation of my business. I love to read, and uh, I th- in terms of development to movies, actually book ha- books have some of the most... I the highest ratio. Um, but basically, I love to read. Uh, I had an office in London, and um, there was an article in a literary, um, in, a, in, a, in a book trade publication about Harry Potter. It hadn't yet been published. And, and someone who worked in my office got it in. And I have three shelves in my office, priority, medium priority, and low priority. And this book went firmly on the bottom shelf. This was early ninety-seven. And um, my secretary at the time was fed up with reading all the rubbish. And the one thing the literary trade publication had said was that it's meant to be well written. And so she took it home and then every, so we'd take home things on the weekend and then on Monday, discuss them. So we're sitting in our room, myself and the two people who work with me. I said, anybody read anything good? And Nisha said to me, well, yes. And I said, well, I read this book. I said, what was it called? And she said, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And I said, rubbish title. What's it about? And she said, it's about this young boy who goes to wizard school. I thought that was a good idea. And I took it home. I read it in one sitting and fell madly in love with it. To say that I knew that it was going to become the phenomenon would be a lie. I had no idea. I just loved it. And that really was the key, passion. Um, I sent it to Warner Brothers. I had a first look deal, which meant that you know, they had to see everything first. They were paying for my office. And uh, I sent it to a friend of mine there, Lionel Wigram. Lionel, like me, was British. He'd been to a school like me, not unlike Hogwarts, but without the magic. Um, And uh, you know, so I sent it to him. He liked it, and then it took a few weeks, sort of working its way slowly up the chain. And ultimately, I think what what was the clinching factor was the fact that Heyman was in London. We'd better give him, you know, we paid for his office. We'd better show good faith. I don't think they had a clue, because uh, you know, um, a couple of years later, uh, Lionel, there was a meeting about books at the studio, and when they were discussing, you know, what was the, what, what, what they had, what were the sellers. And I, you know, I heard, wh- I heard and I don't know if this is true, someone said, well, we have this bestseller in London, uh, but bestseller, and they said, what's it called, Harry Potter? Where's it the bestseller in London, in England? Huh. Okay. And they moved on to the next. I mean, no, but I didn't know. You know, I really didn't know. I just loved it. Um, but thank goodness it, it went on to become a really huge hit, and Here I am. Um, The agency was an agency called Christopher Little Agency. How Joe, great story, but not great story, but amazing thing is Joe was this unknown author. She sent her books out to uh, 15, I don't know how many, but she she chose Christopher Little because she liked the sound of his name. And that's how this man has become one of the most successful agents in Britain in the world was because she liked the sound of his name. Um, I'm not sure that David Heyman was quite the same, but uh, I am lucky enough to be the producer
1: That's fantastic, and now you know, with the passion that you have for it, and and, uh, the decisions you've made throughout uh, it must hurt you a little bit when you hear people say that you guys are breaking the last book up into two movies purely for money Because I've heard people say that uh, Especially after the year-long delay Some sure. people, their next logical thought is that this is a money decision
0: Listen, there's no question that if, if, it was, if Warner stood to make less money by breaking it into two They wouldn't have allowed it But the process was very straightforward Which was, we, I only wanted to make one movie It was as simple as that, make one movie Steve Clovis, let's make one film There was no discussion of two and then two was mooted, and we said no. And then Steve began to work on it, and it became so apparent that there was no way that this could be a two and a half hour movie, a five hour movie, maybe, a four hour, four and a half hour movie, maybe. But given our rule of telling the story from Harry's point of view, um, and given the narrative of this seventh book, there was almost nothing that you could leave out and make the story whole. So, um, st- you know, it, it was v- very clear that two films was the way to go. And actually the other day, uh, working on the adaptation, Steve called me and said, you know what? Three? <laughs> <laughs> but there will be only two. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, no. I mean, there's so much material. I thought in this you were bo- joking. No, I wasn't. I mean, there's so much material in this, in, in, in these books, uh, in this book. Um, that there's probably enough for two and a quarter. Um, Harry uh, Potter in the middle age crisis. Come know, on, I don't know. <laughs> no, but two is the right length, the right right, right number. And um, I'm really, you know, it's 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 fun because we're right in the midst of it. Um, but it feels it feels great. That's terrific.
1: Um, any other questions? Gentleman in the Hat? How far apart do you
0: release the two parts? A date hasn't yet been set, but I imagine it'll be f- November-ish, uh, 2010, and summer sometime early, mid, don't know yet, 2011. Was there a reluctance to put it back in uh, November since uh, the thinking this time
1: was the summer film that young people would go see a movie more often? maybe repeat viewing. Uh, you know, it's so funny you know, it,
0: it, it's like each Is when we true? first went to the summer we were like oh my god that's a terrible idea because it's always worked in November then it goes to summer and it works and you go oh my goodness November what a terrible idea because so uh, that happens all the time you know I remember when a while ago Lethal Weapon I think came out in February everybody said that was a terrible date for a movie to come out I think it was February and I think that there are always these, these new dates that are created that people go oh it's bad and then it becomes the new date to release so no I think for us it's worked. And, and both summer and fall And that's the way it's going to be Or like 300 in March yeah. yeah.
1: Okay, great We're getting great questions guys Thanks everybody again So uh, let's keep going Is anybody else? Uh, back there? Hey
0: Well, sorry, I don't mean to speak ill of the MPAA because I think they have a great responsibility. Um, But I haven't got a clue why it's a PG. I mean, it's one of those that I've... uh, To me, there was no decision made to make it a PG or a PG-13. PG just happened to be what we got. Um, The only decision would be not to make it an R because that would lose too much of our key fan base. Uh, <clears throat> you know the audience for the film seems to be expanding. I'd say that if I'm, you know, I'd say that we may be losing the f- five, six, sevens that 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 were with us at the beginning, um, but we seem to be gaining on the up, uh, on the up, on the upward swing. Um, keen, teen, eight, nine, ten, and, and up. You know, so it's no sign of abating. In fact, uh, increasing. Uh, but there was no conscious decision to make the film PG or PG 13. That's just what the MPA decided I and mean, what do you think having seen the film
1: well i think alan horn sent a big bag of cash uh to get the pg because i mean i don't know how dark knight got didn't get an r uh i, I mean i watched that film i was like really that's pg-13 so alan horn being the warner brothers guy um the warner brothers guy, is that that's his the job Warner title. Brothers guy, that's the warner warner guy. Job actually title.
0: he of all people has been the greatest supporter i have to say yeah
1: well i, I, I can say anything i want though can i just be I can,
0: he's the yeah. warner brothers guy.
1: <laughs> hey there.
0: Um, Thank you very much. So, what do you show you're successful? Well, I um, thank you. That's incredibly kind. Um, he's asking what I attribute the running, you know, the fact the quality of the films has maintained itself. Um, I think that that it's you know the people working on the films are incredibly passionate and also quite competitive. Um, I think each director wants to make a better film than the last. You know, I suspect Alfonso wants to outdo Chris and Mike outdo Alfonso, etc., etc., etc. And David Yates is, you know, is competitive with, himself, with you know, Mike and now himself. But I also think there's, there's you know, you learn and um, you learn from your mistakes, and we make mistakes, mistakes on each of the films, and we know we can do better. And I think we're all deeply uh, and, and uh, ambitious for, for the films, and we're f- we are major fans, everybody working on them. And, um, you know, I think that's it. We're passionate about what we do. Uh, we love the books, and we, want to, and, we, um, and we love what we're doing. So I think the real key is passion.
1: Tell me about the, the going with... David Yates. And, I mean, if you'd look at his resume on paper, certainly there was nothing uh, that jumped out and said that this was the obvious choice to make this film. And, but as soon as you did it, you were sending a strong message about your sort of ambitions and, and how you were framing uh, what the tone of the films would be and, and what their uh, sophistication could, could be.
0: We're well, going back to the third film. you know, the, the, you know, when, when, when we decided on Alfonso Cuaron, Cuaron who had just come off making Itou Mama Tambien, you can imagine what the thoughts were about that. What are Ron, Harry, and Hermione going to get up to there? Um, but, you know, um, <coughs> the studio has been very supportive of of, of our choices. Um, and I think that you know, with Alfonso, why we went with Alfonso was because Itumama was about the, the, the last moments of being a teenager. And Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Askman was about the first moments of being a teenager. And I think that he understood the nuances of teenage relationships in a very real way. With David Yates, with the fifth film, to me that was um, a film that was very political with a small p. The world was becoming more political. The context, the um, world on the verge of war. And he had just made state of play in which was similarly um, involved politics. And he did it in the most entertaining of ways. And Harry Potter is an entertainment. Um, but we wanted someone who would handle that in a really interesting and real way. Also, David's a fantastic um, director of actors. And as we move the series towards its conclusion, it, we, I wanted someone who was um, very who understood the emotional truth and uh, who understand the truth and so the, the emo- was able to capture the uh, the emotional heart of the stories.
1: That's interesting. And uh, Is there any more questions? We got a uh, young lady right there. How you doing? Hi. Hi. Um, so I just wanted to say that I think you did a like,
0: tremendous job in the movie. Thank like, you. I had like, a marathon of like, Bird uh, and Robert talking about all of them and just talking about how like, they're doing their and stuff. Random comment. But um. Just for- <laughs> Keep it on. Thank you. That's a good question. What was my favorite book and what was my favorite movie Um, to work on? Um, You know, each of them. In a way, this is a uh, the whole. Each film is about a different portion of my life too. So it's I've grown up with these films. So each film has has a special place for me. Um, The first because it was my first experience in in this world, Um, the third because I loved the change of direction and it felt like a privilege working with Alfonso Cuaron. The fourth because it was the first British director and I loved the theatricality that Mike brought to it. And the fifth because it's David Yates and I think that it was a bold choice and I feel that it's been justified and it was such fun and he's such a pleasure to work with so each of them has 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 been um an amazing experience and i can look through my you know on the third film i met you know my wife and on the fifth sixth film i um i had a baby boy so you know th- there are those sort of experiences that that are connected with 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 each with the, with each of the films um um and in terms of my favorite book 7 I love the seventh book, Deathly Hallows. I love the six. In fact, I like si- I love six for some of the things that we've left out, um, um, and I love the third. So he loves them all. And I okay, love the fourth. <laughs> you
1: know, it, uh... in fact, yeah,
0: and, and I, my least favorite may be the second. Though in a way, the second is sets up the first half of the series, just like six sets up the conclusion.
1: How um, did you get a lot of confidence? from having the, uh, the steadiness of all the people that are involved, did that make it a lot um, less nerve-wracking to change the director because you had the sort of yeah. consistency of this uh, this machinery in place? I
0: think that's really true. I mean, I, you know, I, th- I think in, in many ways, I think that it enabled us to be bolder with our director choice. I mean, I think Mike Newell, I, I, I'm not sure whether he said this publicly, but he's most certainly said it to me that, you know, the first 60, 60 days of... of, of, of um, shooting he almost didn't know what was going on because his head was so just looking at right what what was right in front of him because there was so much that he had to deal with um um you know and and and, you know alphonse coron had never worked in a visual effects movie but there was that support system david yates had made one small film and had been working in television and yet he was here he was given the reins of this mammoth um um, project. But the fact is we've got Stuart Craig, and, who's our production designer, and Janet, Tanim, our costume designer. The visual effects team have been with us since the third or second film, even. Um, so there's a lot of the same team, and, and you're right, it gives us the support and the confidence um, to, to take risks. And I think that, again, is, is, is you asked before about the standard holding up, and thanks again for saying it, but I think it, it is in part because we, there is the support to take risks. And frankly, I would rather fail on a grand scale than toe the middle line. And I really think that every director has wanted to push the envelope a little bit.
1: That's great. Well, I don't think this film is going to fail. Uh, the, uh, the Rotten Tomatoes rating uh, is uh, hovering above 95%. And, uh, the, and the box office estimates. What did we hear about that? You don't want to say, do you? Yeah, of course you don't. Uh, but <laughs> it does look like it's going to be a very, very successful film. And uh, is there any other questions? Anybody else? Uh, yeah, how you doing? Um, you've spoken several times now about how this team has been consistent over the years. So can you speak a little bit about the atmosphere on set right now? With this sort of going to a close, is it bittersweet?
0: Yeah, uh, the atmosphere on—it's a very—you've been on set. It's pretty easygoing. I mean, considering how, what a big um, project it is. It's really very relaxed on, and part of that is—is is we live in a bit of a vacuum. You know, people say, well, you know, do you listen to the, fa- you know, how do you listen to the fans? What do you do? In a way, we 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 are fans, so we just go about making the best films. We can so uh, almost oblivious to, to, to everything that 's going on outside of leavesden, and so the atmosphere there is really relaxed, really fun, and in terms of us moving towards the conclusion, I think we 're all aware that the, that there is that the end is nigh, and it 's with mixed feelings that we approach it. I think that um, you know you become a family and, and, and when you make a film, uh, but normally shooting a film is anywhere from. You know, I've made a film that's shot in 19 days to 100 days is a pretty big film. Um, we've been together for, by the time it's over, filming for, you know, nine years. And that's a long, long time, and you become incredibly close to these people. So it'll be, I think, fairly, whether we acknowledge it or not, fairly traumatic in its own, I don't mean to overemphasise but it's going to be really hard. It's going to be really sad. At the same time, I think we're all excited about new possibilities and new horizons. Um... But no, there will be sadness, no question
1: it's, uh, The set definitely has The sort of relaxed tension If that doesn't mean, yeah. that doesn't mean anything But it, it really is this sort of relaxed tension Of being backstage at like a major Broadway production Where they've done it for years and years mm-hmm. And what I loved about it is that when you lean on things They don't move, everything was really built Very solid there it's no, not, it, A lot of movie <coughs> sets, you lean on something that you fall Which I do all the time
0: it, It's built pretty solid um, Though um, <laughs> um, Though uh, it, lo- most of the sets are made of plaster, so they won't last that long. And it's really weird when you're standing in these places. Like the Great Hall has been there since 2000. And um, when we were building that, Stuart Craig insisted that we use York stone on the floor. And I was like, Are you crazy? That costs a fortune. He said, Yeah, but it's going to last. I said, But we don't, you know, are we really going to need it to last? He says, Yes. And it cost a lot. Um, but here we are on, going into the seventh and eighth films, and it's still there. But the plaster you know has needed to be fixed and you know, the other thing just a little side you know we work at Leavesden Studios which is an old Rolls Royce airplane factory and it's this you know this is a very expensive film this is top of the range technology and yet we employ two people permanently to fix the roof because it leaks <laughs> spackling the roof um, but no the sets will crumble and they won't be around much longer that's,
1: that's, that's as it should be I think any other questions we have time for about two more questions how you doing you spoke about the uh, adaptation of the books and the films and as the series progressed uh, books get much more complex and as far as the last two movies went you obviously had to chop a lot more out um, what was the primary driving uh, decision as far as keeping it a two hour film, going a little bit further, go two and a half?
0: Is it budget or marketing? Or? No, I, I think that, that it's a tension span. You know, I think that if we went much beyond, you know, we, we pushed the envelope with some. Uh, uh, when David came, Yates came aboard on, on, on the fifth film, he said, I want to make the shortest Harry Potter film yet. And he did. Uh, I think it was two hours, 19 or two hours, 18 is how long it ran. Um, and, and some people felt that was a little short. Um, but two hours, you know, this one I think it runs 2.36, roughly, 2 hours, 36. Um, I think if you, we went on to three hours, we would lose people. You know, we, you can t- we do one test screening, and you can tell when people start going to the toilet that you're beginning, you know, um, a little too much. That's when it becomes pretty clear. Um, no, I mean, it, it's a fairly organic process. The film finds its own length, and... Um, but generally, it's around two two and a half hours. We're not really concerned. I mean, some some. I think it's, I'm not sure what it is, but I think over two and a half hours, you lose a screening, is the thought. That's right. Um, the studio have never in- said, well, it's got to be two hours twenty nine minutes ever.
1: Terrific. One last question. Let's make it a good one. Hi. Um, if you could spend the day with any character from Harry Potter, who would it be?
0: If I could spend a, a day with any character from Harry Potter, who would it be? <laughs> Um, Sirius Black
1: (laughs) Absolutely You can't argue with that right Well everybody what a treat it was to have David Heyman here (laughs) Thank you very very
0: much And please go and watch the film which opens on Tuesday night at midnight And fully July 15th Cinema near you Thank you Terrific Thanks again everybody